Welcome to the Drabblecast, episode 288. The Drabblecast is a weekly audio fiction magazine that brings strange stories by strange authors to strange listeners, such as yourself. I'm your host, Norm Sherman. This week, we're doing something special on the show, something we'll be doing every now and then from here on out. We're pulling all the story content on our show this week from our very own ginormous and vibrantly squirming Drabblecast community forums at forums.drabblecast.org. If there's one thing I've always loved about doing this podcast, it's been watching all the subsequent creative work constantly frothing out from those in the Drabblecast fan community. From 100-word Drabbles to 100-character Twabbles, all the way to full-on short stories, there's always a lot of writing, a lot of posting, and a lot of constructive, friendly critiquing going on in there from fellow writers, listeners, and creative minds. The Drabblecast itself started out as basically just a critiquing platform for a handful of friends writing and passing around each other's stories, and it's cool to see that element still going on eight years later in the forums community. Very cool. So we're showcasing our forums this week on the show. Hope you dig. Let's start things off with a Drabble. Drabbles are stories exactly 100 words, an exercise in brevity and sharp, concise writing. We have a huge Drabble section in our forums where I lay out themes of upcoming future episodes to give you Drabblers suggested topics to play around in, raising the potential that your story gets picked up and paired with a feature for the show. Just like our Drabble this week was. This week's Drabble is called In the Shelter of Each Other by Rachel K. Jones. Rachel lives and lurks in Athens, Georgia, where she's pursuing a degree at the University of Georgia. She's written three unpublished novels and plans to write more. On the side, she professionally grades essays on those standardized tests that kids take these days, which she says is surprisingly fun. Wanda found a spider in the shower one morning. No surprise, it was an old house full of cracks, leaks, drafts, and squeaks, much like Wanda herself. Let's get you out of the steam, little friend, said Wanda. She trapped it in a mason jar and freed it in the attic where there were abundant insects to eat. That winter, the house somehow felt a little warmer. The gas bill dropped and her arthritis eased. In spring, Wanda checked the attic. Her friend had been busy. Carefully overlapped leaves wrapped in spider silk patched each hole in the roof. The Good Samaritan on this week's show, helping out complete strangers just cuz. What's stranger than helping strangers? We've been conditioned from a young age to not talk to them, to not accept the delectable candy they pull from their trench coats, to not get in their large unmarked vans. Everyone you don't know, which is literally almost everyone, could potentially be a rapist, mugger, or dude trying to show you his dick. You just never know who has it out for you. Until you look down, of course, and by then, it's too late, you've already seen his dick. But part of us wants to help people we don't know. There are legions of charities to prove it, because for whatever reason, it makes us feel good about ourselves to help others. Mother Teresa said, Shelter those that are weak, and feed they that are hungry. For a life not lived for others is not a life at all. 
Remember that next time a stranger offers you candy from his trench coat and shelter in his van. For this week's feature story, pulled directly from the short story section of our discussion forums, we bring you Bayou Witch by listener Caitlin Teeley. Caitlin spends most of her time in imaginary worlds, lucidly dreaming. She lives with her large family, including three cats, one of them polydactyl, and 12 chickens. Besides writing, she enjoys croqueting squids, making period-accurate and cosplay costumes, and bonding with llamas. This is her first professional sale. So without further ado, we bring you Bayou Witch by Caitlin Teeley. Cat's tail flicked impatiently back and forth across Elle's face. She resisted the urge to brush it away. Mud tugged at her feet and putrid water soaked through her shoes. She ducked beneath a low-hanging branch dripping with old man's beard. It trailed over her shoulders and evidently Cat, who dug his claws into her scalp in payback. She bit her lip at the pain. Cat. Elle said, trying to keep her tone calm. Would you like to walk? After an indignant pause, Cat replied, "Uh, No, the view from here is much better. Elle raised her eyebrow. It's pitch black. There is no view. That's what you think, Cat retorted petulantly. Elle rolled her eyes as she navigated around a large cypress. It had a southern bell way to it, with its roots hitched up like so many skirts and crinolines. Despite the dark, Elle walked with confidence. The bayou was home, even after years of being away. She could find her way through it with a blindfold on and dizzy from being spun round half a dozen times. Since she had moved back, she was out every night, dancing with the trees and critters like long-lost kin. It wasn't long before Cat grew tired of sulking. His tail resumed its pendulum. He started humming some obscure tune, which came out as a caterwaul resembling a toy with dying batteries. She countered the offense to her ears, and really the ears of any poor soul within a hundred square feet, with a song of her own. It consisted mainly of yowling as discordantly as she could. The humming cat stopped. Giselle, this may seem harsh, but you have no musical talent. It's time you knew. Cat's tone was sympathetic. Elle ignored him. Cat took this as a sign that she was crushed. I'm sure that you have other abilities, he offered. Elle didn't respond, trying to stuff down the silent laughter earthquaking her body. Oh, no, don't cry. Some people just aren't good at anything, that's all. Her resistance broke, spilling her laughter over the levees. Startled, Cat lost his grip and fell off her head into the bog water. He shrieked and scrambled up Elle's leg. Still chuckling, she scooped him up. Elle could feel his glare burning as she used the edge of her t-shirt as an in-a-pinch towel, scrubbing the biggest clumps of muck from his fur. "'I hate you,' Cat muttered. "'No, you don't,' said Elle. Least a ways, not enough to do anything about it, she added as an afterthought. Only because the guilt of doing something cruel to a little girl with one foot in the grave would be... Ah, interrupted Elle. I'm not one foot in the grave. I'm two feet in the bayou, and doing fine, thank you very much. 
and never mind the fact that seventeen is hardly a little girl. She plunked Cat back on her head. He attempted to hold her face between his paws, his extra toes spreading across her cheekbones. No need to get worked up about it, he said. I only meant that, as you are actively dying... Hush you, L interrupted again. Cat gave a melodramatic sigh and settled onto his haunches. They walked in silence for a while, or rather, L walked and Cat lounged. Sounds of the night filled the silence between conversations. Splashes and the occasional whoosh of wings were accompanied by the growling vibrato of bullfrogs and the clicking, whirring, and buzzing of insects. A soft glow shuddered a few strides away from Elle, stopping her in her tracks. As she watched, the glow condensed into a floating, ghostly flame. Luminescent drops fell from it, disappearing before they touched the water, which glimmered in the newborn light. Will-o'-wisp, she gasped. Cat yawned loudly. It's swamp gas, said Cat. Beautiful is what it is, Elle said. She stood, taking in the sight. Then she yanked first one foot, then the other, from where they'd started to sink into the mud, and headed off in the opposite direction. Darkness closed back around them, with just a reflecting shine here or there. "'Excuse me, Giselle, but why are we leaving the beautiful swamp gas? "'Cause I don't want to die following a will-o'-wisp into some trap or another, like an idiot. "'They're pretty, but that doesn't mean they're nice.' She kept walking, putting distance between herself and the light. It's swamp gas, Cat stated again. It's a spirit, Cat, and a particularly unfriendly kind, too. Giselle, the tone in Cat's voice was that of someone who must explain very simple things over and over. The light is the fluorescent combination of a combustible cat. He ignored her. More specifically, diphosphane, phosphane, and methane. Mixing with oxygen causes them to ignite. It's not a ghost, it's swamp gas. If you want to chase after a will-o'-wisp, go ahead. Cat remained silent, but his weight settled more firmly on Elle's head. That's what I thought, she said. The earth sponged beneath Elle's feet. The tiny peat island hunched, surrounded by the bayou. Elle felt the trees straining above her, their branches desperate to fill the open space made by the clearing. The night air blanketed everything in soft, warm comfort. A man-shaped shadow moved towards her. Andre? she asked the darkness, reaching tentatively forward as he came in range. She felt dreadlocks course between her fingers. Elle's hands ran along the smooth skin of Andre's face. He tensed slightly at her touch. She pulled back. My name's Elle. I'm here to help. She held her palms out. The shadow shifted, and she felt fever-hot breath on her open hands. I won't hurt you. Andre inhaled her scent slowly, testing for any danger. I trust you, he said the sound almost two-toned, carrying a growl on its back. Cat's claws sunk into Elle's scalp for more than the second time that night. He hissed, leaning as far as he could, without falling to swipe at the figure. Leave it be, Cat. You're fine. Elle swung her backpack off her shoulders. The outside was painted with dried mud that crunched as she unzipped the largest pocket. She fumbled through the contents, drawing out a Ziploc bag stuffed with folded clothes. She passed it to Andre. 
He took it silently, opening the plastic and sniffing gingerly. He stopped abruptly, realizing what he had done. Sorry, ma'am. I don't mean any offense by it, Andre mumbled. Uh, just that I'm very sensitive to, well, to smells. He was caught somewhere between man and boy, with all the awkwardness that comes natural at that stage. No worries. They aren't new, but I washed them as many times as I could without them turning to lint, L offered. You aren't kidding. These don't smell of much at all. L handed him over another bag. Bus tickets and papers. This should get you where you need to go. But most important right now, L said, is this stuff. Andre tore into the bag she held, spilling its contents, a rain of food. She waited as he filled his stomach. As Andre polished off the last chunk of bread, he asked, Not that I don't appreciate it, because I do, but why are you helping me? You don't even know me. So? Anybody that needs help deserves to get it. Andre hesitated. Do you even know about... I mean, do you even know what I am? Well, if by that you mean a person who is on the run because of who they are, yes, I also know that you're Rougarou. And you aren't scared. L laughed. There are things worth being scared of, and you aren't one of them. Besides the fact that there are no such things as werewolves, Cat chimed in. Says the talking cat, L said. I have a theory about that, Cat started to say, but was interrupted by Andre. The cat talks? Andre's voice raised an octave. Yes, it does, said Cat. I believe it to be the next stage of evolution in my species. As you can see, or rather not see, he amended, realizing that the boy probably lacked the night vision that he possessed. I am already part of the next generation of cats, polydactyl. I have more than the usual number of toes. Some would argue I have thumbs. Speech is simply the clearest progression. Oh, Andre said faintly. Of course. L attempted to conquer the conversation. Anyway, in with the papers, there's a map that will show you the next station and the conductor. What, like the Underground Railroad? Actually, yes, I think some of the other conductors are descendants from the original railroad folk. Andre chewed on this. So, you and your talking cats are conductors on an underground railroad for werewolves? Don't exist, Cat interjected. But other than that, yes, L said. I have a theory about that, Cat repeated. Once he had a mind to say something, it took more than a subject change to stop him. You likely suffer from a condition known as clinical lycanthropy. I'm sure that you believe that you are a werewolf, or rougarou if you prefer, but it's simply a psychological disorder. L sighed. I'm not making this up. Andre's voice snared in his throat, more growl than words. What had been a warm night breeze was now choking hot. Of course you are, Cat soothed. You just don't know it. Andre laughed. <laughs> Why would I put myself through this? Why would I want to be persecuted? My own mother won't be under the same roof as me. She thinks I'm a monster. Elle stretched her hand to where she guessed his shoulder was. He crushed her fingers between his talons, twisting her knuckles against each other painfully. No, 
Elle said. She took his wrist with her free hand and squeezed as she pulled her hand away. Andre drew back. I'm so sorry. I can't help it. I am the monster. Everyone thinks I am. No, said Elle. The only way you can be a monster is if you choose to do harm. And Cat? Elle prodded with her ribs. Do you fancy a swim? Because I don't have to carry you if you won't be nice. From the top of Elle's head came the sound of a small, broken garbage disposal. This was, of course, Cat clearing his throat. If I may suggest another theory? Yeah, said Andre. It is completely possible that your condition, and my own for that matter, is purely a construct. Giselle has a malignant brain tumor that realistically could trigger hallucinations. We could merely be a means of escape from her tragic reality. Ugh, said L. Giselle, I am not above repeating myself. You may have not accepted my theory the first eight times I posed it, but minds can change. Cat patted L's head in an attempt to reassure her, less than successfully. You should get going, Andre. If you miss the bus, you'll have to wait a few hours for the next one. Thanks. I mean, the boy touched her arm. Thank you. L nodded, knowing that he would see the movement. Be safe. <clears throat> um, yeah, talking cat? Andre asked. My name is Cat. Imagine how redundant it would be if I called you talking human. Anyway, if you come across a strange glow or a light, walk the other way. Uh, will do, said Andre quizzically. And with that, he set off. Before he was five paces away, he had disappeared completely into the blackness. That was nice of you, said L. I only mentioned it because there could be a risk of quicksand. Rotting organic material might cause... All right, cat. Um, Giselle, about what I said earlier. Yes? You really should consider that you're only perceiving me as talking due to the cancer spreading in your brain. Thank you, cat. Somewhere in the roaring quiet, a boy was running away from his fears to face them in the day. But here, a girl stood with the breeze wrapping around her arms, smiling and twirling strands of her hair as tears trailed down her skin. Her eyes shone faint in the swamp, matched by the eyes of a cat perched on her head. And around them, the bayou crept into the night. our story. Werewolves, talking polydactyl cats, dark nighttime swamp ambiance. Some stories just have it all. Hope you enjoyed. 
If you did, consider hooking the Drabblecast up with some love. We may not be a werewolf on the run, but we do pay authors professional rates for their work, as well as lots of other costs, so your generous financial support is much appreciated. And we certainly appreciate this week's kick-ass donor of the week. Suzanne Early. Suzanne is Australian by birth, global nomad by design. She's a third culture missionary kid, voracious reader, serial non-finisher of university degrees, freelance proofreader, copy editor, currently job hunting in Papua New Guinea to allow her to be hands-on involved with the anti-domestic violence groups she works with online. So if you know of anything, hook a sister up. We love you, Suzanne. Thanks for the support. Be like Suzanne. Go to drebblecast.org and connect with any of the support options on the right. We really appreciate it. All right, moving on to our 100-character story winner this week, Big Bad G, with this one here. Red. Red everywhere. I let it enter my house. I dab a finger for a taste. Jam. The peanut butter has gone feral. I am afraid. As well you should be. Think you can write a good story in only 100 characters? Give it a shot. Post it in the Twabble section of our forums. You might be next week's winner. Follow us on Twitter at the Drabblecast for the winners early each week, along with other rad stuff. Alright folks, that's our show. Remember, the Drabblecast is produced with a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License, which means don't change it, don't sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. Write us a review on iTunes, blog about us, spread the weird. Special thanks to our awesome episode artist this week, Kelly Martinez. Check her out at craftypodes.com. Our show this week was brought to you by managing editor Nikki Drayden, submissions editor Nathan Lee, art director Bo Kyer, with additional help from Tom Baker, David Carvin, and David Steffen. We'll see you next week, weirdos. Until then, this is Norm Sherman, reminding you, I have a theory about that. Thank you.